Dr. Brian Rosenwald has agreed to do us a favor and and stick around much way past his bedtime in light of our technical problems. So uh, we are going to try and continue our attempted conversation with Brian Rosenwald. Brian, can you hear me? Frank, I can hear you, and I'm worried that you're going to eat that sushi and get food poisoning, my friend. Well, it's all good because now that uh, now that you people can hear you, even if I end up uh, needing to make a speedy trip to the men's room, they'll still be enlightened with some of your wisdom. All right, Brian, a couple of important things that I want to get to here. And, and I, in all sincerity, I do appreciate you uh, staying up a little bit later because I know you're a busy guy and you got a lot going on. Um, let me begin with, um, you know, one of the things we've been talking about on this show is who it's appropriate to call doctor. And this came up during the Jill Biden situation, whether or not she should be called doctor. You are Dr. Brian Rosenwald. You got a PhD. Uh, You're the only guy I know with a PhD in talk radio. Uh, Do you think your people, and my brother is one of your people, and I have nothing but respect for your people. I think you guys should even have your own schools. Uh, But um, do do your people, the PhDs, do you think you people should be referred to as doctor by the rest of us? I think that it's a good thing, and, and here's why: people don't, you know, who are not PhDs don't understand this. But we did, you know, in, in my case, it was seven years uh, to get this degree, and we're already undercompensated compared to other professionals, and so it's just kind of a moniker, I think, of a professional symbol of like, hey, you've actually achieved something. Um, I don't think that, you know, some people see it as, oh, that should only be reserved for an MD. If you want to give us our own kind of thing, okay, we're not going to call you doctor, but we have this other title, that's fine. But I think that, you know, given the the degree, and and it makes it easier, especially I know with corresponding with students and stuff, um, that kind of thing. So I do think that there's some value in it um, and acknowledging the amount of work that went into that and the knowledge. But I don't think it's like, you know, that this is not uh, war and peace or anything like that, you know, of major import. But I do think that there is some importance and it's it's reflective of, of achieving something. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Now, let me really push my luck here. If I'm ever able to con uh, some academic institution of higher learning into giving me an honorary degree, would I be a total fraud if I had Dr. Frank Morano printed on my business cards? I don't see why not. You know, you just put it put on that business card, Frank. Brian, this is, this, this is why I love you, man, uh, because that, that, that is uh, that's it. I'm going to be signing my name as Dr. Frank Morano once I get that honorary degree. All right. Uh, I um, had started talking about the Dominion suit. I don't know how much of um, what I had heard in setting up the to- what I had said in setting up the topic you heard. But the trial is beginning today with Dominion voting systems going after Fox News. How do you think this looks, Brian, not necessarily from a legal perspective where it seems Dominion has a pretty strong case, but from a media perspective? And understand, a lot of our listeners right now on some of the biggest conservative talk radio stations around the country, a lot of them probably watch Fox News a great deal, and they've probably seen nothing from this because they haven't covered this at all. Give me your take on what the implications of this are. Well, actually, Frank, just to add some breaking news in the last couple of hours, the judge delayed the trial by a day. And oh. There's a lot of buzz that Dominion and Fox are talking about a settlement. Oh, interesting. That's what the okay. delay is for. So the trial will technically start Tuesday unless they settle in the interim. 
Um, but I think it's a hugely, hugely important topic. First of all, it confirmed a lot of things that you and I have been saying for years about conservative media, which is that this is a business. What was Fox, you know, what were Fox ex- executives worried about in the wake of the 2020 election? They're worried about losing their audience. Why? Because that's where they make money. And so they, they didn't want to air things that were going to anger their audience. And they did want to air things that their audience wanted to hear. However, I think this is a, a major kind of warning sign to all media that there are there is some limit as to how far you can go into pushing something that you know is false, that, you know, knowingly false. Um, I, I'm worried that the lesson will actually be don't put anything in writing, <laughs> you know, because you can't get sued if there's no evidence. But um, I, I do think it's a really, really important case because it, it showed that, you know, that they are not an information organization that was guided by journalistic conventions. Uh, I know that we talk a lot about bias in the media, and there's certainly truth to that, but there are still journalistic rules and fact-checking and and other things that go on in newsrooms that it's just a different calculus, whereas with Fox, you know, the the most uh, bad, the, the worst stuff for Fox was, look, you know, they were trying to sanction reporters who were made the mistake of telling the truth. They got punished for telling the truth. Um, and, and that just shows it's a very different business. It, it is an entertainment medium that people can get information from, but it's designed to, to make you know money and to give the audience what they want. Well, a lot of people are listening to this right now, Brian, and they're saying, you know what? Okay, maybe I don't like that Fox was a little dishonest, but I do like... That they give me what I want. I like that you get um, what they perceive to be uh, left-wing slanted news on media outlet after media outlet. And Fox News is a place where I feel comfortable getting information and maybe sometimes having my views reaffirmed. If people know that Fox News is not a news organization but essentially a propaganda network, if they like the propaganda – What's wrong with that? I don't have a huge problem with it. I, I well, on, on one level, I think it's bad for democracy. We, you know, it, it's very hard to have rational disagreements and debates about where the country should go if one side isn't getting facts right. and is instead getting fiction. However, I'm a big believer in the free market, and if there's a market for that product, it's going to exist. You know, as we've learned with the war on drugs. You can only fight something for which there's demand for to, to such a degree. Um, so I I'm a believer that you know if this is what people want, then they're think they're entitled to have that. But I do think it has a corrosive effect on democracy because if you look at polling on the percentage of Republicans who think the 2020 election was stolen, for example, it's pretty high. And I don't know how you have the you know conversation between people who think that that election was stolen and people who say, no, there's no evidence for that. There's no facts behind that. Like, I I don't know how you find a meeting of the minds there or you have civil conversation. Well, it's such a good point, Brian. If people are tuning in, we talk with uh, Dr. Brian Rosenwald. He's the author of the book Talk Radio's America. It's the uh, best book on modern talk radio and the nexus with the American political dynamic that it's essentially both a 
byproduct of and a contributor to. Definitely recommend it. But, um, Brian, I did two years ago or three years ago, right after the election, I did an hour uh, with an expert who and I invited people to call in because I would hear from listeners that had a lot of these election conspiracy theories. And look, it's overnight radio. I love exploring conspiracy theories, whether it's Kennedy assassination, UFOs, whatever. Or why not explore an election conspiracy theory? And so uh, I spent an hour having this uh, this expert and journalist address every single question that people had. And I don't think there was a single question that people raised that he couldn't answer or a single scenario about why the election was rigged that he couldn't dispute. I'll be honest, at the end of that hour, I'm not sure that we changed a single mind because people had just become so wedded to this idea that because Trump said the election was stolen – the election was stolen. So I, I, uh, I do, I totally understand the difficult quandary that that places for, um, for democracy. Hey, there was a, an op-ed in the New York Times by uh, Jack, Jeff Kosef. I don't know if you saw it, but essentially Kosef, who is the author of a book, Liar in a Crowded Theater, Freedom of Speech in a World of Misinformation, he says in this piece, uh, what protects Fox News also protects our democracy and that legally, all right, maybe what Fox did was bad, but it's a positive for democracy that they have the free speech to say it. What's your view on that? I agree. I I tend to be a pretty strong champion of free speech. I think that just because something is false or something is, is dangerous, I think the way you beat that is with better ideas and getting facts out there and getting information out there. I do think that we're, you know, I, I think it's good that the standard for defamation is really, really, really high. I think people like Ron DeSantis who want to lower it, and Donald Trump sometimes, he, he's gotten on that bandwagon at times as well. I think that's a bad idea. I think that what makes the Fox case, I mean, I, you, know, you go back to when we started getting the, the discovery information, these emails and documents and things, and a lot of the legal experts were shocked, Frank. They could not believe that there was actually a chance that this was a good case for Domain because it's really, really hard to prove defamation. Um, and, and I think that that's the way it should be. I do think that this case is a little bit unique because we have all of this evidence that the bosses at Fox absolutely thought these theories were bad. And then not just did they not try to bring the accurate information out there, they brought on guests who they knew were peddling things that they thought were lies or crazy um, because it was, you know, they could see the minute by minute ratings and see surges when those topics were discussed and stuff like that. It, there, there's a, a kind of cynical element to this, a, a business element to this, where they were doing something that they knew was false. They were spreading falsehoods. And while you certainly have the right to do that, um, you know, free speech right to say whatever you want to say, if, it, if it's negative about some other entity or company or, or even a, a political figure, there's, there has to be some bar because mm. you can do harm to them if you, you know, if we just say, oh, you can say whatever you want to say about anyone. Well, if people start spreading rumors about you or me, that could do damage to us. So there has to be some sure. limit, but I think that the limit should be high. And it should be hard to match. And I think that anyone who wants to, to make it easier to have a defamation suit or a libel judgment 
that that is a very, very bad idea. All right, we're talking with uh, Dr. Brian Rosenwald, author of the book Talk Radio's America. Uh, last question on this, Brian, and then I want to pick your brain on one or two other items. The um, I remember Dominion had also gone after Newsmax, and Newsmax did sort of an on-air mea culpa delivered by my, my friend uh, John Tobacco. But what is the status of that lawsuit? Has that settled? Have they withdrawn that piece, or is that is that still pending? I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I mean, I think Fox has gotten all the headlines because it's the bigger entity. Sure, it was a more um, expensive suit, and Fox was more resistant to this kind of mea culpa, I am going to be really interested to see if there is a settlement. Is it just monetary or does Fox have to air something? Have their hosts go on and say, you know, essentially what we were saying mm-hmm. is lying um, and that kind of thing. Because I do think that there there would be more of a public value in that than just a monetary settlement. You know, the monetary settlement will discourage really irresponsible behavior. I think big picture because companies don't like losing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or more. Sure. A billion, um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that, that they're settling. I think Dominion won $1.8 billion, so we got to imagine that we're talking sure. hundreds of millions minimum. Um, and, and I think that that's certainly a disincentive from spreading lies. But I do think that trying to get the accurate message out, as you said, it may be hopeless at this point. It may be that people's opinions are so entrenched that nothing can dislodge it, um, and, and that, that that's bad. But I do think that that's a possibility. But I, I'd be curious to see whether Dominion insists on that kind of thing. Um, and the, the other long-term ramification from this uh, that, that I, I think is going to be interesting or, or curious, and maybe it has no effect at all, is that you know you have some of these hosts, some of the stuff that they said about Trump and about other people, where, you know, Tucker Carlson was running him down and saying, thank God we're going to be rid of him. And then last week, there he was interviewing Trump with his first post-indictment interview. Um, So there's a question about whether it does anything at all to the relationship between host and audience, where the audience says, well, wait a second, you've been saying one thing to me, and you don't actually believe that. And, and, you know, authenticity used to be really important in, in radio and television. Right. Oh, um, absolutely. And building that bond with the audience. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Brian, you had a very interesting column a week or two ago. Headline, what happens when your favorite musician or band shatters your vision of them? Confessions of Springsteen fan in 2023. Now, I attended my first Bruce Springsteen concert on Friday. I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes. But um, give me uh, give me your take on uh, exactly what you're talking about here. Explain to folks what Bruce did to shatter your vision of him. So Bruce has this working class kind of ethic to him. His ticket prices were always cheaper than all of his you know competitor artists or his peer artists, he, he sings about the working man. He's always put in pitches for food banks at the end of, of every show that I've been to, and I've been to like 19 or 20 of them. There's always a pitch for a food bank. You know, during the, the recession, he played a, a 19th century folk song, Hard Times Come Again No More, and you know, he, he's done all kinds of music that makes him – seem sympathetic to the average Joe, even as he's gotten wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. Um, and, and the first signs of trouble were last summer when they put tickets on sale and they're using this variable pricing scheme for the, for the first leg of the tour that just finished uh, on Friday. 
they're using variable pricing, and some of the tickets went into the thousands of dollars very quickly. Um, I said to you know myself and my dad, I said, I can't afford the lower-level seats that we usually get um, because I was thinking, you know, I'm going to want to go to shows when he comes back in the summer, and I just can't justify, you know, I, I think it was three fifty, four hundred for for a ticket that was at the other end from the stage. You know, it wasn't even a great seat, and so the pricing started this whole thing. Um, and then Bruce responded to that in an interview with Rolling Stone in like November, and basically what he said was, you know, we're worth it, and and if you don't think that at the end of the day, we'll give you your money back. And I, it struck me as, my God, that's tone deaf, because all of his fans agree that he's worth it. You've got people who fly, you know, from continent to continent to see him um, and have seen hundreds of shows. And, of course, they believe he's worth it. But the problem was they can't afford that. Um, and so that answer struck me as tone deaf. And to the, the credit of Springsteen's camp for the, the summer leg, the show, the prices are cheaper. They're still way more expensive than they were the last time he toured seven years ago, but they are not, you know, the, the stratospheric prices are gone. But then there have been other episodes during the tour. He's always been a guy, you know, where he could change 20 songs from night to night. You never know what you're going to get, and that's part of the fun. And this tour, he's basically played the same set list with maybe one or two changes or the last week or so got up to like three in some of the shows. And my problem with that wasn't, oh, this is so bad. I thought it was a great show. I, I don't know what you thought, but I thought it was a great show. But what happens is you've got people, even there's a service Nugs. It's a streaming music service that they have all these shows that go up like two or three days after the concert. And they were selling packages before the tour for every show from the first American leg and the European leg. Well, there are people who spent hundreds of dollars to buy those thinking we're going to get shows that are all vastly different. And instead, they basically mm. got the same show night after night. And there are people who bought tickets in multiple cities um, thinking, oh, I'm going to see a bunch of different shows and it's worth it to me. And now I wonder whether they felt betrayed because he just didn't communicate that, hey, I'm feeling this one set. We're going to stick with it. Um, there's this story I want to tell. I think his fans would have been really understanding. And then the last thing that I mentioned in the column was that there was uh, he got sick, or at least people think he got sick. No one ever actually said this, but they canceled a couple of shows or postponed them um, in early March. And it was there were people on message boards saying, well, I don't know, I, I'm getting ready to get on a plane, and I don't know if I should travel, because all we got was like three tweets like the day or two before a show saying this show is being postponed. There was no announcement of like Bruce himself is sick because other band members were sick earlier in February. There was a little bit of a COVID outbreak. Um, and, and some of the other band members missed shows, but there was never a, like, oh, hey, Bruce is sick. He's going to miss a week of shows. We're going to resume the tour in this city on this date. There was nothing like that. And it just struck me that these these accumulating things Interesting. shattered the the impression of artists who really cares about his fans. Right. That's, who is different, uh, well, well, you know, well said, uh, Brian. I, I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, secretly donating to a, uh, a Ron De- DeSantis super PAC along the line, along <laughs> the way. Um, but uh, lastly, Brian, I can't let you go without asking you about what's happening with AM radio. Uh, I'm a lover of AM radio. I listen to it every day. I'm on it every day. So uh, some of the great stations carrying our show right now, WABC, WCBM, KW, 
WAM, uh, some of the best AM stations in America. And I, um, I, I'm, I'm, I share the anger that a lot of AM radio listeners have that more and more car manufacturers are not going to offer AM radio. Now, first, it was just electric vehicles. These electric vehicle manufacturers said, okay, there's too much interference on AM band. We can't have it in the electric cars. I thought that was a crock, but uh, uh, because oh, you mean to tell me you can invent an electric car, but you can't invent a way for an electric car to have a hundred year old technology. But okay, I'll go along with that. Then Ford is now announcing that they're not just pulling it from their electric vehicles. They're not going to offer it as part of their gas powered vehicles. Uh, aside from the public safety concerns that people like uh, Democratic Senator Ed Markey have raised uh, and um, uh, and others, national uh, and other people as well, but a lot of people are concerned that this could be a, a sort of backdoor way of attacking a medium that conservative thought and conservative media thrives in. I'm curious as to your take on this whole situation and where you see it going, Brian. Well, I've been saying for a decade, Frank, that there's a real risk that the the delivery mechanism for the content of conservative talk radio was going to go away. That AM radio, as, as phones got more and more integrated into cars, that AM radio was going to go away for a myriad of reasons, you know, from the staticky nature of it to the fact that realistically on a lot of AM shows, there's like 22 minutes an hour of commercials, whereas your average podcast may have, you know, three or four commercials tops. And I thought, you know, people are not going to want to listen to all of that. And especially as more and more of talk radio is nationally syndicated, that, you know, people can get that content in, in other uh, ways. They can get it through podcasts and stream things and, and all kinds of different stuff. So I've said for a long time that if AM radio is to survive, I think those stations need more local content. They need to be institutions in their communities because if you do that, then if these car manufacturers say we're, we're taking the AM radio out, then there's going to be an uprising because people want that content. But I don't think that there's any actual risk in 2023 to the content if there's no AM radio because it's so deeply entrenched and there's such a market for it. And just, just like the Fox stuff that we were talking about, so long as there's a market for something, the content is going to be there. But the delivery mechanism may change. AM radio may go away. You may just have FM. You may just have podcasts. You may just have streaming. And I, I think that would be unfortunate, but some of it is a byproduct of, you know, how many AM stations are producing live local content um, and, and versus, you know, infomercials or other different things that have, have taken over the AM band as so many of these talk stations and news stations move to FM. So I, I think that the, the AM stick is really at risk here, and this mm. would be a devastating blow to AM radio, but I don't think it threatens the content in any way. I think that it, the delivery mechanism will just change. People get it through different ways. They'll go to your website, and they'll, they'll pull up your show instead of clicking a button on the radio. Got it. Well, we'll see what happens. Brian, it's always a treat. I appreciate you being a trooper and uh, and suffering with us through these technological problems. My pleasure, Frank. Always great talking with you. Thank you. Brian Rosenwald, check out his book, Talk Radios America. He's also on Substack. I read his column. Uh, just search Substack Brian Rosenwald, and you can subscribe, and it'll get emailed to you. It's a great newsletter. All right. I am told we are going to... Just when we have the phones working, I'm going, I'm told we're going to switch back.
to the phone system that was not working, I will let you wonder whether I had anything to do with this decision. But give us a call back at 800-848-9222, and we'll try and get take your calls on that number, and we'll do the best we can. 800-848-9222. In fact, give us a call anyway, just so we know the phones are working. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 